So last week um, we talked a, a lot about the, you know, the uh, the just the noise of the world, if you will, the voices that are constantly clamoring at us, right? And 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 they're out there trying to make us believe false doctrines. And and we were looking last week at Paul calling the Colossians back to living a life now the same way as when they had first believed. And when I was joking and said, you know, I was I so enjoyed last week's lesson that I wanted to teach it again. Just the the excitement that we had, if you remember back to your conversion, you know, that first year of being a Christian, you know, of how, you know, the probably the common phrase that people used was he's on fire for Jesus, you know, or she's on fire for the Lord. And, you know, some people would even joke and, you know, say, you know, he'll witness to a light pole if the light pole will listen to him. And, you know, and, you know, perhaps, you know, he should have been locked away in a closet for the first three weeks to take some of that edge off. But the, just the zeal and the fervency of, of the newness of being a Christian. And, and actually, you know, when you think about it, that's the missing piece for everybody, is it not? That they're lacking the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit in their lives. And and we, I guess the hard part for me and y'all too is that we know that, but yet we can't make somebody become a Christian. I think that's probably one of the big flaws of um, the modern day church is, is that we think we can make somebody. And so we come up with all these silly methodologies of getting somebody to do something and then telling them they're all right with God. And then we never see change in their life. But they did this, so they must be saved, but there's no change. So, you know, the frustration for us, right? But the bigger frustration is knowing that we're seeing a loved one, perhaps, that has never really changed. And, you know, so I guess the question that I think of is, you know, can you really be converted and there be no change? You know, I mean, it just can't happen, right? I mean, it just doesn't, you know, you're either born again or you're not, right? There's either new life or there's not. Well, that's what we were looking at last week is Paul talking about living that same life that you had then, now. And if we look again at uh, Colossians 2, uh, verses 6 and 7, uh, he says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, and I love that he puts those three names in there as we looked at in depth last week. So as you received him, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And we really unpacked that last week, but just again, to bring back to our remembrance before moving forward, you know, there's these enticing voices all around. And as with the Gnostics, what they were saying, these enticing voices, there's, here's the trick. They sound logical, right? They sound logical. They make some sense. You know, matter of fact, because if you think about, if you're making a counterfeit dollar bill, right, you're not going to use yellow construction paper and put Superman's picture on there and put a three in the corner. Everybody would know that's fake, right? And I remember hearing years ago, and I I don't know the dates of this, but there was, a I think it was an American spy in Russia, you know, back in the Cold War era, and 
And uh, this guy was just, you know, he was in there for a long time. He had impeccable documents, right, which allowed him to stay there. So that, that's how good the deception was. And that's how the Gnostics were doing to the church in Colossae in this valley, really the multiple churches there. And, and that's the, it's the same way for us today. Well, you know how that spy finally got caught years and years and years and years later? He went through a particular customs port, gave his documents, and the customs agent there realized something. This guy's been here, I can't remember, don't take this as nailed in stone, the amount of years, but let's say 15 years. The customs agent thought, you know, this guy, these documents are 15 years old. In Russia, a 15-year-old document, the staples would be rusted. These staples aren't rusted. That was the flaw. But see how long it got them? You know, and that's how this false teaching works in our lives, right? It can be, be looking so real, documented so perfectly that people fall for it, right? Deception looks authentic, and it's, many times it's supported by intelligence, credentials, popularity, and even a touch of class. Look at 2 Corinthians 11 for a moment. 2 Corinthians 11, let's read verses. Uh, Paul really says it well there. 2 Corinthians 11, 13 through 15. It says, um, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. You know, Satan knows what he's doing, right? He knows what he's doing. And I ended last week with this quote from Screwtape to Wormwood in the Screwtape letters. Old error in new dress is is ever error nonetheless. Right, and that that's so true, and and we we need to pay attention to that. And then I think I read this last week too that John MacArthur gives a summary of verses six and seven. He says, by taking the truth of the Word of God, believers get a strong mind. By living out those truths, they receive full assurance that Christ is who He claimed to be. Assured of that. They can appropriate the riches that are his legacy to believers and walk in him. As they walk in him, they will grow in him and become established in their faith. As a result, they will give praise to God. Isn't that good? I mean, can you see the progression? But where does it start with? It starts with living the truths of God's word. We get a strong mind by the truth of the word of God, not by other things. So that's the litmus test, right? Run it through the scriptures. Be a Berean, right? We, you know, we don't have to live very long to see how easy it is to fool people, right? It's easy to be fooled ourselves. Has, have y'all ever been fooled? Not spiritually, maybe, but just tricked in life with something. 
Does anybody want to share a time that you've been fooled by some, something that seemed very legitimate? Right? How do you think these um, resort places work? Isn't that how they work? You know, they call, we, I, we've got one, we're on a list now, cell phone and home. Both kits, cell phone and mine and our home phone. So somehow they got three numbers. And I mean, it's multiple times a week. You've stayed at one of our resorts in the past. And therefore, so the other day when I was driving to the airport, I said, you know what, I'm going to talk to this person. And, um, you know, and I thought, uh, you know, because so they get, can we ask you a few questions? And I said, no, because I have never stayed at one of your resorts. That's a lie. And, I, and then they said, okay, thanks for your time. Click, gone. <laughs> you know, and I mean, I don't stay at resorts, right? I mean, if the campground at Lake Alatoona is a resort, then, you know, probably been there. But, you know, that's, that's, we can get fooled easily. Does anybody else want to share? A, I got, you know, fooled by... Uh, Bill collectors do that? You know, you ever seen that? The, uh, the scam uh, IRS things? All those, we hear about them, right? I did one of on Facebook and it said I won a $1,000 gift card or a Walmart or a Visa or whatever. And all I had to do is, you know, pick the one I wanted. I randomly selected. Yeah. As you go in, you got to answer all these questions. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, they want you to buy like an alarm system or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Information and yeah. I mean, what's the old uh, saying, you know, if it's too good to be true? Probably is. <laughs> you know, or probably isn't, right? It's not true, right? Well, Donald Gray Barnhouse, um, y'all have heard of him, a great preacher and writer. He used to illustrate this point this way. And I got to thinking, uh, Barnhouse was at uh, 10th Street Presbyterian in Philadelphia, and that church, I don't know who's the pastor there today, but that church has had some of the top theologians of the last 150 years. I thought, man, how blessed they have been there. They had Barnhouse and they had James Boyce. And, uh, you know, I was thinking, man, I mean, this one church has had two pastors that were just prolific theologians of our time, you know. But anyway, the, Barnhouse used to illustrate it this way. He, he used to tell of a practical joke that he and some of his uh, teenage buddies played. And this was um, in Philadelphia, I guess. It, it said, when I read it, it said it was in a large city. And, and uh, this was, uh, Barnhouse was born in 1895, died in 1960. So it was a teenager, early 1900s, right? 20s, 1915-ish. So just think of that time. What they would do is they would, he and a group of his buddies would stand on a street corner and just stare intently into the air like that, you know. And then one of them would point and say real loudly, see it? And, you know, another one would say, I don't see anything, you know. Um, It's right there. No, it's not. You know, they would go back and forth like, like that. And sooner or later, they'd have a whole crowd there. And once they got a good crowd, he and his buddies would just stand back and watch everybody, you know. And, and uh 20 minutes later, they would still have people doing it. And then they would look, and some of the original group would have left, but they'd be over here leaning against the building, still looking to see if it would show up, right? And about that trick, here's what he observed. Quote, that little incident is a good illustration of all the earth-born religions. 
People talk about having faith. They tell you to look in a direction where there's absolutely nothing. Some people are so desperately in need of seeing something that they will look till they are almost blind, yet they never catch a glimpse of anything real. Isn't that true in life when you think about it? I mean, have you known somebody over the years that, you know, you would have said that, you know, that that guy's on fire for, for the Lord, you know, but now they've set their, their sight, their faith in something that was really nothing. Have you all ever known anybody like that? And you know, what was it? You want to elaborate on it? What What happened? What do you think? Intelligent people, right? They rest their lives in what ultimately would prove to be nothing. Does anybody want to share one of those? I think you see a lot of uh, evangelism at the college campuses or uh, even out on the street when Jeff Warren goes down there. You see a lot of people who claim to be atheists. And you start asking them their background. Yeah, I was a strong Baptist believer at some point in time. And, mm-hmm. But they really were, you know, but they thought they were. Yeah. They got out in the world and just all the questions from the world and Satan just kind of pushes them down and they're... <clears throat> Yeah. Well, they really are, but you know, they might have been a false convert or something like that. But uh, you see that a lot. Where yeah. Their testimony is. And now they're following now nothing. They're now they're, yeah. 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 I I had one. Nothing's set. Right. Yeah. I, I had one this week. I was um, in Dallas and I had some time Friday afternoon, so I went to the Bass Pro Shop there. You know, I figured I won't buy anything being this far from home. I'll go look. And uh, it's like theirs is a lot bigger than ours. Everything's bigger in Texas. But so I'm talking to this guy uh, that was at the outboard motor section, and he was a couple years older than me. And you know, where are you from? And uh, you know, this guy's brother lives in Sandy Springs, right where I grew up. And I mean, so we kind of hit it off talking and all. And so I finally I said to him, he started telling me that he was. He lived here, and then he went to California, and then he got reunited with one of his high school sweethearts when they were in, like, mid-60s, and now he's living with her there. So I said, well, do you guys go to church anywhere? (laughs) And he said, well, no, I grew up Southern Baptist. You know, I did that whole thing for a lot of years, and, you know, I've been there, done that. You know, and I was thinking, wow, you know. So... You know, he probably ought to get back into it. But, you know, I mean, but what about the ones that, you know, are, I mean, those kind of what Charlie was saying and what I just said, you know, those are people that have turned completely away from it. But what about some that have turned more to, you know, something else in the faith or supposedly in the faith or another belief a little bit? You know, we've seen people standing on the street corners giving out literature, haven't we? You know, I mean, if you go to the city, uh, a lot of places you'll stop there, you know, there'll be some Muslims giving out literature, you know, and and I, I kind of will do a swap, you know. Well, you know, I'll take yours, you take mine, you know, and okay, you know, throw it on the floor. I don't know what they do with mine, but, you know, the same thing, swap tracks, right? But, you know, they're they're looking, they're searching for something. And, you know, even even in the faith, though, We've seen all the religious pep rallies, right? The you know come to this and and get health and wealth. You know if you'll only believe, right? I mean, Benny Hinn sells out everywhere he goes, right? And even though 
he's been exposed, hasn't he? I mean, it was, I don't know if it was 60 Minutes or 2020, one of those years ago, showed the flaw of that. And he still sells out. And, and this is all within the faith, right? How, how are people so drawn off sides by that? What do you think? What in the world happens that they can get? It's because if you go back to verse 6 and 7 that we're talking about here in Colossians, they're not walking as they once were. They've let their guard down. So it, it, it is possible for seemingly healthy believers to be led astray. It happens every day, right? And Paul found this to be true of the Colossians, so he, he's, now he's warning them of what we're going to move into today, verses 8 through 10. You know, this is the prescribed safeguard against spiritual seduction, if you will. So Colossians 2, 8 through 10, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So first we got to understand, and I didn't get this for a long time, but we got to understand that Paul is not putting down philosophy because philosophy simply means love of wisdom. You know, I mean, read Proverbs, you know, that we're supposed to have that, right? So he's not saying, you know, put away wisdom. He, he's What he's getting at here is trying to show them that everything that had to do with about the theories of God, the world, the meaning of human life, was all called philosophy, both in pagan schools of his day and the Jewish schools of the day. So both Judaism and Christianity are today both philosophical because they make these all-inclusive claims about the nature, the reality, and the set values that guide our lives each and every day. So philosophy is not bad. Right, but what by and large is being propagated in the world today's philosophy is bad, as we'll see. So Paul was warning against dangerous philosophy, philosophies that are made up of elements of the Jewish religion as well as the Greek Gnosticism. So kind of this integration, if you will. And remember that the Gnostics we talked about this weeks ago. You know, they were teaching the church. That, that this is a that, that we people them us now must work their way up from a series of lesser gods you know through these emanations of little g gods moving up the spiritual ladder to become a more godly person as you do reaching the ultimate goal and and what was going on here was the, the they were combining Jewish religion with the uh, and, and we'll see this unpacked as we continue in chapter 2 here, but the, the false Jewish teachers combine Hebrew rites and severe regulations into their philosophies of God uh, as a way to move up the spiritual ladder, if you will. And it was all real mysterious. And for some reason, then, as well as now, people are attracted to that, are they not? You know, the ooh factor, you know, that, that attracts people. Um, it was very complicated. It was, um, you know, had to do with astrology and kind of the people that were propagating it. And I think you can see a little air of this today as well. You know, they're just kind of snooty. You know, they got their heads up in the air like they've got it all figured out. 
In Stuart Scott's book, a uh, little booklet, um, From Pride to Humility, I can't remember if it's one of the Hebrew words or one of the Greek words for pride, has that kind of description of the definition of somebody walking around with their head up high in the clouds. You know, you can picture that, can't you? We all kind of picture British people that way, don't we? <laughs> you know, looking down their nose at us, right? But but worst of all with this, it was very deadly because it mixed the truth of the Hebrew religion with these enticing mysteries of Eastern mysticism and, and Greek philosophy on top of that. So it was presented as something more, which would elevate the ignorant Colossian Christian babies. Uh, it would elevate them to grow in their faith. You know, and yes, we should be growing in our faith. But I think what Paul was getting at in verses 6, you know, walk like you when you received him. Think of that. That was baby, you know. Many times I think the more we grow, my life is this way. I mean, you can examine your own and see. But the more I grow and the more I know, it seems like the less zeal I have, which is the exact opposite of what it should be, right? I mean, as I said last week, remember to when you were first saved. You remember how excited you were? And, you know, just, uh, you know, man, I can't wait. to. I was back then, I was still in the uh, uh, pest control business, and I would go into people's houses, you know, and I'm not bragging on me. I'm, I'm talking about the zeal, the power of the Spirit in somebody that was dead and then was brought to life. And um, I would talk about the Lord. You know, that kept me from having bad thoughts about where I was. What am I going to steal? That's what I was thinking before. I used to go in people's houses and, <laughs> you know, I'd look for weed, you know. And if I found some, I'd take it. I never took their alcohol, but if I found some weed there, you know. You know, and now I would walk around and look for Bibles. You know, then I'd say, oh, you read that? You know, and, you know, they get it off and, Well, every once in a while, you know, but, you know, just, I mean, the change and and we're not, we, so the baby, like I'm saying that we do need to be growing. Don't hear me. I don't want you to be a baby Christian your whole life, but some of that zeal is that we had as children, we need to, to keep going. Then we're not so drawn off sides, if you will, with all this new stuff that's coming. You couldn't have drawn me off sides when that first year I was a Christian. If you put chains around me and tried to drag me off sides, I wouldn't budge. I told you last week that I was when I read in the Old Testament, I can't eat barbecue anymore. That rocked my world. But I remember telling the guy, man, I'm committed, though. It's going to be tough. But, you know, no more pig, you know. <laughs> but then as he showed me in the New Testament, yeah, I mean, whoosh, you know, and shrimp, too, right? But but we got it. We just got to know that we can't get drawn away from the things of God. We can't let these. You know, I'm a bigger, better Christian now, right? Um, so some of these people were succumbing, and it's unfortunately still happening today. I think the biggest place that well, no, second biggest place that that personally I see it happening today is in young people. No offense to the young people, John Michael, Beth Ann. Um, <laughs> they, go, they go to college, right? I mean, we all know the story, right? 
you go to college, you're a strong Christian in the youth group at your church, and you go to college. And I'm telling you guys, and those two could attest to it so stronger than me. Well, John Michael talked about it last, maybe not here, it was at another meeting that, um, that he has recently gone to dinner with a professor that's an atheist that these guys have it as their life goal to draw Christian young people off sides, right? I mean, it's there. That's what we're talking about here. And uh, have y'all seen the movie God is Not Dead? You know, that's what we're talking about. We need more people like that young man there, right? I hadn't seen the second one. But um, uh, anyway, that that's what we're talking about. They 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 now perhaps will deny the faith. Uh, or even within the faith, a mixture where, where you start mixing Christianity with some kind of skewed doctrine, um, you know, our, and, and our brothers and sisters, Christians, you know, in other denominations that say you got to do this, you know, to move up this ladder. You know what I'm talking about? The, you know, the charismatic church, for instance, right? You, you know, you get saved and then you get baptized in the spirit and then you're speaking in tongues and then you're rolling on the floor and then you're rolling down the aisles. Then you get the holy laughter. Then the gold dust falls from the sky and it just keeps going and going and going. What's the problem with that? That's right. You're missing the fullness because you're focused on all this and you can never reach the peak. And and in the world that I run in with people that struggle with addictions, once you reach that, then what? There's nothing else. You crash and burn, you leave the church. I mean, that's just like an addiction, right? Nobody stays with drinking beer. You know, then they're smoking weed and then they're snorting cocaine. Then they're smoking cocaine, you know, or taking pills, whatever. You know, there's always a progression, right? And it just goes, and that's the same way that is. And, and, but I, I started that with brothers and sisters in Christ because they are. But they're, see how they're drawn off sides with this type of um, philosophy, which Paul is saying, don't do that. And then how about, here's my biggie, um, psychology in the church today, right? Where you've got uh, scripture being integrated with the wisdom of man. Um, and Kit and I went to a place a couple weeks ago. I was so excited that this place existed. And then when I left, I wanted to throw up. And I'm not going to say the name of it because uh, I'm being recorded, but it's a place that addicts can go and uh, it's open probably 18 hours a day. Uh, it's huge, huge. They've got hundreds of thousands of dollars rolling in there all the time. The government's behind it. Uh, Hollywood's behind it. When we were there, we saw some Hollywood people. And um, I went because I thought, praise God, look at this, you know, a new avenue, safe haven for addicts. But when I went there and I saw, and, and they were operating, if they were operating secular, let them be, right? But they were operating Christian-wise. 
And they were so integrated with the philosophies of the world that it was gagging to me as a Christian. We walked out and Kit said, you do realize you cannot have anything to do with these people, don't you? And I was like, yes, you know, (laughs) but, you know, I mean, think about that. How hard that is, though, right, to see that. Well, Paul had the answers for them. And the same answers apply to you and I today. This is how we guard ourselves, you know. And, and he, he tells us how dangerous and seductive this philosophy is. And the way he does it is first, look what he says. He said it's, it's deceptive. It sounded great, but it was empty deceit. That's where the trick is, right? We've all heard this, and we've heard it in politics. We've heard it in religion. We've heard it in science. We've heard it in academics. It sounds so learned, but it says nothing, and sometimes it even lacks any sense at all, right? Have you ever talked to somebody like that? I mean, I, I can stand here right now, and I can think of a guy that I used to talk to that, that would be like that. And I mean, after a 15-minute spew of this academic speech that he would throw on me, I scratch my head, and what in the world did he even just say? I, would, I, I couldn't understand the guy. You know, he was speaking English. He was from Georgia, so I should have been able to understand it, but I couldn't get it. Well, I found, interestingly, a great example of this. This is kind of long, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. That there's a guy in 1974 named Edwin Newman. He was a journalist and a TV anchorman, and he, he gives an example of this. He wrote a book in 74, and this is what it said. Strictly speaking, I mean the title, Strictly Speaking, subtitled, Will America Be the Death of English? Right? Think about that. So a review of the, it said this, in the book, Newman skillfully skinned contemporary written and spoken English, pointing out how the language of Shakespeare had degenerated at the hands of business and politicians becoming choked with cliches, redundancies, and catchphrases. He cites an unintentionally humorous example of this. Um, in, from, listen to this. This is from a college in uh, Massachusetts. Now, think you're 18. You've just graduated from high school, right? This is 1974. And this is, uh, he, Newman says, uh, the language of this paper outlining the plans for the college has never been equaled. So think of this, you're reading this, I'm thinking about going to this school. And I probably won't be able to pronounce a lot of these words. Here it is, quote, That social structure should optimally be cognizant, patterned expression of culture, that higher education is enmeshed in uh, conjuries of social and political change, that the field of humanity suffers from a sure fit of leeching. It's blood drawn out by verbalism, explication of text, Alexandrian scholasticism, and the exquisite precocities and pretentiousness of contemporary literary criticism. That a formal, now this is an 18 year old's reading, you know, I'm going to go to this school, think of this. Um, that a formal curriculum of academic substance and sequence should not be expected to contain mirabilia, which will bring all the educative ends of the college to pass, and that any formal curriculum should contain a high frangibility factor, 
that the college hopes that the Hampshire student will have kept within him news of Hampshire's beliefs that individual man's honorable choice is not between immolation of self, but instead trust in his studies and experience in the college will confirm for him the choice that only education allows. Detachment and skill enough to feel and concern enough to act with self and society in productive interplay, separate and together, that an overzealous independence reduces linguistics to a kind of cryptographic taxonomy of linguistic forms and that the conjoining of the other disciplines in traditional linguistics becomes most crucial as problems of meaning are faced in natural language, and that the college expects its students to wrestle most with the questions of the human condition, which are, what does it mean to be human? How can man become more human? What are human beings for? You know, are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, so... The Gnostics could talk just like that. And that guy that I mentioned, that's how he would talk. I'd be saying, what are you saying, right, to me? You know, they, they can impress and intimidate people who don't know better, and that's how you get drawn off sides, right? So the basic idea, if it's accepted, then everything becomes rational, right, and relative to their mumbo-jumbo. You just fall right in line with it, you know, What's scary to me is it sounds a bit, loud, a bit like some denominations of today, right? And we'll see that as we move into the verses uh, coming in chapter 2. Well, it's the same way with modern cults, right? And again, this is a bizarre instance here, but just think of this as I read this to you. One of the most bizarre examples of this today, right now, is a cult that has this as their theological creed. Listen to this. As God was, man is. As God is, man can become. Wow, how do you get there? So that, that cult's belief is that God was once a man, but because he lived a virtuous life, he was reincarnated to successfully hire lives. It sounds just like the Gnostics, right? Until finally he became a god of his own planet, and then ultimately the god of heaven. As a result of that, people are being sucked into that. And a, one example is a guy, have you ever heard of a guy named Gordon Hall? He was in the uh, 80s, uh, the business tycoon that uh, started the Nautilus Sports Equipment. The Arizona newspaper in the mid-80s said this of him. Quote, he is worth more than $100 million, he says, because it was his goal to be worth more than $100 million before the age of 33. In parentheses, that newspaper said, others say it's closer to $60 million. Um, there, and here's what he says again, there, there are goals. By the time he is 38, he will be a billionaire. By the time his earthly body expires he, and he is convinced that he's going to live to be 120 years old, he will assume that he believes to be his just heavenly reward. Gordon Hall will become a god. He says, quote, Gordon Hall, We have always existed as intelligences, as spirits, we are down here to gain a body. As man is now, God once was. And God as, and as God is now, man can become. If you believe it, then your genetic makeup is to be a God. And I believe it. That is why I believe I can do anything. My gen- genetic makeup is to be a God. My God in heaven creates worlds and uni- universes. I believe I can do the same thing. 
end quote. Right? Intelligent man, yet greatly deceived, right? And Paul uh, is attacking that, right? And, and we've got to understand that, um, you know, these aren't necessarily bad people, right? They could be very moral people, uh, but they aren't necessarily bad. I mean, I've thought, I don't know if you have had thoughts like these, you know, that, you know, a guy like, um, uh, the guy in Texas, uh, Houston, in the basketball, Osteen, Joel Osteen. Do you think that he wakes up and, and he's, he's, he's thinking, you know, I'm going to go in here today and I am going to purposefully deceive and draw away from God as many people as I can? You know, he... he he's deceived, so he's turned around. That's see. right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, and that's why Paul is saying this kind of stuff, you know, is that, and we got to understand that. I, I think a lot of times we think it's going to be some demon out there doing this. Now, certainly they're behind this, as we'll see when we unpack verse uh, 8 here. Um, but, you know, these guys aren't scheming intentionally to do that. They think they're doing good, but that's how deceived they really are. And uh, they're, they're very sincere. They use sophisticated language. Um, well, you know, you know what it reminds me of. Uh, one of the neatest flowers, plants, to me, is the Venus flytrap. Have you ever seen one of those? They've got some down at the uh, botanical gardens in Atlanta. Beautiful, beautiful plant. Looks really neat. Why is it that pretty? So it can draw the prey in. You know, and then once the prey is in there, boop, you know, you're done. Um, and that's that's the same as this this works. That's the same way cults work. That's the same way this philosophy. Paul tells us here, secondly, that this Gnostic philosophy was uh, coming from human tradition, right? Which means that the false teachers presented their philosophy as having uh, antiquity, as having dignity and character. Uh, you know, this is human. I mean, my family, we've done it this way, right? That's how every cult today is. You know, even they sell their deceptions as ancient in their origin. And again, as Charlie said, I think of the Catholic Church with that one. You know, the, the tradition. Tradition in the Catholic Church trumps everything, except maybe the Pope. But, you know, it's, it, it certainly is over the Bible, right? And every cult today is that way. And third, this false teaching was demon-controlled. As I said a minute ago, he ends that uh, saying, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. So, you know, demonic spirits, they were thought to control the planets and in our lives and, you know, the whole world order. But Paul was arguing that these evil forces in control of false doctrine uh, were really to bring people away from God rather than to God. And um, these spirits are, I mean, they're active today. Um, You know, what is the test for us to know if this is true or not? The word of God, but what else? These tricks that the spirit would use. I think, you know, um, 
is it focused and centered on Christ? You know, I knew a guy years ago that um, when the church I was going to, I was inviting him to it, and he, he said to me, is it, a, is it a spirit-filled church? And I was a new believer. I didn't quite know how to interpret that. And I said, well, yeah, of course it is. And he said, well, so they talk about the spirit more than they talk about Christ. And I said, well, no. And he said, well, then it's not a spirit-filled church. Does that, isn't that weird? You know, because, I mean, it's all about Christ, right? And I think that's the test for us. If it's all about Christ, then we know that it's real. But um, he, when, when we start down that path, it results in bondage. You know, the, these different philosophies, they start to enslave, right? So, because look what he says. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive. That means to carry you off. Prisoners were led away by armies, right? And, and cult teachings get a death-like grip on their followers, and very few people come out of it. So he says, see to it that no one takes you captive, right? And, um, you know, again, in, in my job, in my ministry, I see people that are taken captive to what the world would call a very good system, AA, right? And it's making thousands of people sober. But what good is it to be sober if you're dying and going to hell, right? So as a Christian, I can't purport AA because I have to proclaim the gospel, right? And, and I'm telling you, if you know any, any diehard AAers, you know, they are not going to miss a meeting, you know, no matter what. I mean, no matter what, it becomes their God. And, you know, praise God that they're sober. I'm not bashing that part of it. But when, when, when it's one guy I know in particular, you know, he, he, he always says, you know, well, yeah, you know, they talk about in the meetings that, you know, you can have whatever higher power you want to have. Mine's God, you know. No, you can't, right? You can't have any higher power. Um, it's not a, Jesus isn't a trinket, right? And this little gal in the airport yesterday in Dallas, I told kid, have you ever met anybody that just, you walk in, you've never seen them in your life, and you walk in and sit down, they just, talking, you know, and this, there was this little gal, and she was scared to death to fly, probably about 30 years old, and, and she just was, you know, I've got my computer out, can't you see I'm trying to work here? And, uh, but, um, you know, I should have been thinking, how can I share Christ with her, right? But she's scared to death to fly. And, and she says, yeah, when that plane goes up, I go, ooh, Jesus. You know, and that's not who we're talking about here. But that's what's been sold to the world. He's a little trinket that you can use now and again if he fits into your life. They've been taken captive to think in their mind that they can live life however they desire to live life and not, uh, you know, you've added something to your life, so now you're better than the guy that doesn't say the name Jesus at all. That's kind of the way to look at it, right? See to it that no one takes you captive. You know, it, how is it possible for somebody to be sucked into that, right? And, and the, the only way to get away from that 
is the fullness of Christ in our lives. Right? And that's what he starts to unpack for us in verses 9 and 10. So verse 8 has always been kind of one of my stand-on verses. And, and I, I hope it is. I mean, it's one of my favorite verses, you know, that I don't get carried away, taken captive by the philosophies of the world, by the elemental spirits, demons, or by the traditions of man, right? I have to stay true to the word of God, or I'm going to be drawn off sides like everybody else is. Now, we get a little sideways every now and again, don't we? But, you know, if we're true to the word, we are always drawn back to the, uh, I mean, I think of Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. You know, he had his book, and he, he went on his journey. He knew where he was going, but every now and again, you know, well, like I think the chapter 3 in the version I read of Pilgrim's Progress, Mr. Worldly Wise Man comes in, and he's teaching something real similar. And you know what? It's a bit easier. I'm going to do it, right? And that's when he goes and uh, takes bad advice and he ends up with that one picture of he's on a path and this mountain's about to cave in on him and then evangelist comes and finds him, sets him back on the right path again. And, you know, that that's how it's supposed to be in our lives, that if we get sideways, we get drawn off sides, that's what you and I are for then to come alongside people and bring them back onto the path. And And that book, Pilgrim's Progress, is just full of examples of how to not let that happen in your life. I mean, Bunyan, if anybody, could have could have had a legitimate reason to not do what he did. He had a wife and all these kids, and he spends 12 years in jail for preaching. Well, you know what? Maybe it served my family a little better if I didn't preach. I could be out here fixing pots and pans, making a nickel an hour or whatever, right? But no, he was called to the gospel, and he and his wife both trusted God enough to know that they, that God would take care of them if he doesn't fall into the traps that were out there trying to deceive him. There's tons of more examples of from that book, but we'll leave that alone for now. So do you all have any final comments or questions about that? Verses, verse 8. Yeah, I took a class long, many years ago from Luke Rillo that he drove in my head more than anything was you can, any, you take truth and no matter how small a little bit of error, it still equals error. Mm-hmm. Truth plus error equals mm-hmm. error. Yeah. And that's how these people do that. Yeah. And they take a whole lot of truth and they just filter it with a little bit of error. Yeah. And it's so easy to get deceived. Yeah. Get off base. That's good. I mean, we are all in trouble if this isn't sufficient. Right? We are. Because we're basing our eternity on it. So um, I can't comprehend why I would base my eternity on it and then I wouldn't base my anxiety on it or my fear or whatever, right? All right, well, thanks for your time.